The reading this morning can be found on page three of the Church Bibles. It's from Genesis chapter one, starting at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would speak to us now through this lovely chapter that you would change our lives, that we would see things in a new way, that we'd see things in your way, the wonders of your creation and our part in it. We were debating which verses to read to today, and I think I probably made a mistake as usual, but just if you look at um, page three of your Bibles, if you can get a hold of them, uh, let's go into chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. That gives a flavor of the greatness of God's creation. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, In particular, what God said mankind was for, what women and men were to be about. And these are verses we've probably all heard before, but we're going to just try and go a little bit deeper as we look at them today. So on the sixth day of creation... God is considering his handiworks and he declares it to be very good. That's verse 31. We're going to home in on verses 26 to 28 in particular. They focus on what's been called the first great commission. We all know Jesus's great commission to take the good news to the whole world. But at the very beginning of creation, there was the first great commission, the first instruction to created men and women as to what they were to be about. Whenever our lives seem to be fruitless, which for most of us is not that irregular or unusual, empty of meaning, sometimes yes, uh, unsatisfying, well, if we're honest, yes, these verses actually remind us that there is a divine meaning to our existence. We're good at emphasizing sin and our need for salvation and the need to have a restored relationship with God. 
There's nothing wrong with that, but it's good to go back to what God's original intentions were and what he wants to get us back to. So each one of us, however bad we might think we are, however bad we actually are, however sinful we've been, we all, each person here, have a God-given purpose. And there is actually, that's what these verses are showing, there is actually a beautiful God-given design to our lives. Human beings are very special to the one who created them. So each one of us here has a God-given purpose. We may not have found it properly. We may need to update what we understand our purpose to be, but we all have an important part to play in fulfilling God's will for his creation. So however much we've let him down with our sin, however little we feel that we have achieved in our lives, and if we're suitably humble, most of us probably do feel that way, we can still remember we have been designed by God and we have been given creative and eternally valuable work to do on his behalf and with his help. We all matter and we're all important. I'm just going to talk about Barbara in the garden. She's actually not a great gardener, but she's better than me. And over the years, we've really relied on, on Barbara's late father for telling us how to sort things out in the garden. But about two weeks ago, Barbara went mad. She discovered there was a half-price sale at Hillier's. We'd inherited lots of pots and plants from uh, her parents' bungalow in the garden. And she just went bananas. I kept being called out when I was preparing this talk, and it probably shows, to dig holes to get certain plants put in. Barbara did most of the hard work. But I couldn't keep writing and typing and all that without going out and digging a hole every now and again. It just went on and on. The net result was, we think, probably true, that we have actually enhanced to some considerable degree God's creation, the garden that we've got, not by anything we've really created, but the way we have used what he's already put into place. So that is an illustration, really, of what we're reading in Genesis 1. Mankind was created to do yet more with God's beautiful creation, to appreciate it, to make it even more beautiful, and to treat it with respect. So we are there to sustain what God has already made, to make it better, and to show in the words of Psalm 8, verse 1, and right at the end of the psalm as well, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's not just appreciating the beauties of creation when we have a nice walk or whatever. It's rather more than that. It's being actively involved. And it can mean stuff to do with climate change, quite obviously at the moment, but it can mean other things. Through art, through music, crafts, poetry, literature, drama, architecture, fashion, sports, and so on. We are created to be creative like our creator, to be God's partners in his wonderful creation, and to bring things out which are a blessing to others, but which also give glory to God. That's a big and wonderful aspect of being human, and we sometimes miss it. What is inescapable in today's reading in Genesis 1 is that from the very beginning, men and women were made to be creative partners with God, the creator of all good things. And I think that there's nowhere I can find anywhere in the Bible that that stopped 
That is still his plan, and it's still the best way, apart from sorting out our relationship with God, uh, to show forth his glory around us. We need to love each other properly. We need to have our fellowship right with the Lord, and we need to care properly for his earth. So, we are created in God's own image and likeness. I'm just going to home in on that a little bit. Verses 26 and 27. Let us make mankind, God said, in our image, in our likeness. And then later on, and so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. No other created being has ever been given that kind of honour to reflect the lovely nature, character of God. Only humans have been given such basic dignity and glory. We're reflecting something of God himself, although probably we don't really know we're doing it. We alone have been given that kind of role. His partners in creation made with aspects of his own holy character and nature. So men and women and children, well, from their early days when they can think and and begin to do things for themselves, but they are all uniquely, we are all uniquely like God. Help. In three ways in particular, let's put that into a little bit of context. Firstly, we have been given creativity and imagination, some of us, most of us, The ability to think deeply, again, some of us, maybe all of us, but to really think much more deeply than animals can, for example. God has given us these faculties so that we can relate properly to each other, grasp his truth and love together, and share his truth and his love around us as we appreciate his beautifully created world. Secondly, we can communicate through speech in numerous languages. I'm not saying we're all linguists, but you know what I mean. There's a variety of ways of communicating, and men and women have been given that ability. We can convey ideas and discuss our thoughts and feelings with others, and we can learn from each other. Thirdly, perhaps the most important one, like God, we are moral beings, We can distinguish between good, what's of God, and evil, what's of the devil. We are capable of discerning the divine value of things. Back to Psalm 8, which really links to Genesis 1, as you will have doubtless picked up. In Psalm 8, King David wrote this. You have made them, men, women, and children. Let's never forget children a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them ruler over your works, sorry, over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So there's a particular status, if you like, that we were created to have to adopt. And there is a plan for us. There is a plan straight from God from the very beginning. The privilege that we have of being made in God's image was for a purpose. And today's uh, three verses, verses 26 to 28, make this clear. 
So we've got the first Great Commission here, and it's also been called, called these three verses in particular, God's creation mandate. It sounds a bit theological and a bit highfalutin, but what it really means is that God has given us a task, a shared task. We are to rule benignly, to oversee in the right way God's creation. We are his representatives on earth. Apparently, other cultures surrounding Israel similarly had creation stories. They tried to explain where everything had come from. But their stories were very different to Israel's creation story. In other cultures, men and women were seen as merely slaves or playthings of the gods. And the gods were quite capricious. You know, they could do nice things for you one day, bad things the next, and you had to pray and do all sorts of funny things in front of idols in order to keep them placated and on side. Very different to the way we are to treat the Lord as we go through the Jewish tradition and the word of God. The language of image for other religions only applied to rulers. It was a big thing to have anything linked to image. But for us, being made in God's image clearly gives us a really special uh, status and responsibility towards the rest of creation. If you like, we're at the top of the whole um, series of levels of creation, and we're there to play an important role. I'm not going into all the detail of that. We can work it through. But clearly, when you think of climate change and pollution and all that stuff, we are very real and imminent needs to be involved and to take a leading role. So God's original wish was for all humans to be fruitful in his way, to increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it. The world can be pretty wild and in terms of uh, making things safe and making them the best they can possibly be, there is an element of subduing the wildness of nature. In other words, we were made to thrive, to protect, to cultivate and enjoy the beauty of this earth, to bring order and beauty on God's behalf so that glory would be given to him. Now, you may feel, well, we've fallen well short of that, and of course we have, because sin has entered the world. But that doesn't mean we should forget all that or assume it no longer applies. I think the main point today is that this still applies. None of this has been rescinded or overtaken. And in fact, Jesus's role has been to restore creation as to what it should be, not just us, the whole of God's creation. Let's move on then. God's creation mandate or his first commission applied today. The Garden of Eden was only part of the total creation. It's the bit we've got uh, in our story of creation, probably from Moses, but maybe other writers as well. So the Garden of Eden was only a part. I mean, you think of the whole universe, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger, it seems, in terms of what we can see and begin to understand. At the beginning, the role of man was to bring order to join up, separate, set limits, fill up barren spaces, and cultivate the land. 
then sin crept in, of course. But God does not hand us anything on a plate. And certainly after we fell into temptation, when we became sinful beings, we really had nothing handed us on a plate. We had to really work at it, and there was hardship and difficulty as part of the human lot. Our own fault, if you like, but this, the creation mandate is still there. St. Augustine uh, set out something very interesting, which I'd never come across before. He said that whilst God made the whole creation and said, after the sixth day, it is very good, just after he had made men and women. But he didn't actually say, as I read it, it's perfect. There's no scope for anything. It's all done, dusted, ended. No. St. Augustine's point was that God had deliberately made a world with future, even greater potential. It was there to be developed, to be made even more beautiful, and to bring more glory in all sorts of ways to the creator. So how can we fulfill this look at the further possibilities that are there the potential that we shouldn't miss or spoil well we can go about protecting enjoying and developing creation in a number of ways here's four i've, I've broken the anglican rule it's not just three i've got four here firstly acting as though neither nature nor human culture is necessarily bad you know, going to theatre next week, just because men and women are involved doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Although both creation and men and women, looked at it in Paul's language, groan under the impact of our sinful separation from God. There's a groaning, there's a, an imperfection which is all to do with our sinfulness. But it doesn't mean that everything is inherently bad go out and look at the countryside today it's quite clear there is beauty god is still reflected in his creation look at each other when we're on a good day when we do kindly loving things to each other you know that is of god that is god's nature coming through and it's lovely and we should see more of it right the second one we should given this mandate be adopting uh, an attitude of humble service towards each other but also to the creation. We rule on God's behalf to glorify him and not ourselves, not to be selfish. Our stewardship since the Industrial Revolution quite clearly has been absolutely dismal. You know, the pollution that's there, the, the risk to the climate and everything, that's down to what men and women do when their motives are not right or when they're careless, however you want to describe it. But that's the second one, ruling humbly. Thirdly, representing God on earth by ruling and subduing his creation and by reflecting his character. Only humans can reflect his character. Only we are made in his image. Only we can reveal to each other his priorities as revealed in the Bible. Finally, we can continue in our proper established roles by seeking to conserve, to cultivate and enhance nature, but not 
exploiting it for our own gain. Wow. So, you know, we were made for great things and we still are there to do great things. And it's our responsibility, each one, to work out what that means for us. I just want to end with, I've got one long quote, but I want to go into the New Testament and see how St. Paul dealt with some of this. In Romans chapter 8, as you might have expected, just going to read three verses, verses 18 to 21. This is what Paul said. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children and God. There's a sense in which that whilst evangelicals tend to emphasise the individual relationship with God, which is the right thing to emphasise, we sometimes miss the broader aspect of actually getting creation to where it is meant to be, to reflect God's glory. And of course, ultimately, it's the coming of Jesus that makes that possible. Here's the long quote. I'm very proud of a new commentary I've got. I didn't get the two-volume version, which cost about £100. Uh, it's by the ex-professor of theology at Durham University, who uh, sadly died a while ago. But I've got the shorter version of his commentary on Romans, and this is what it says about these verses. It's a little bit complicated, but the, the thoughts are really important for us. So let's just try and uh, work these through. I'll try and read it properly. Verses 19 and 21 in Romans 8 surely imply that it is not enough for the Christian to respect and to protect and cherish the subhuman creation as the habitat, the environment, the amenities of his fellow men, both those who are now alive and also those who are yet to be born. If it is indeed God's creation, if he is faithful to it, as well as to mankind, and if he is going to bring it also, as well as believers, to a goal worthy of himself, then it has a dignity of its own and an inalienable, since divinely appointed right, to be treated by us with reverence and sensitiveness. Right. Now, it's the next one that really gets me, the final uh, sentence. Remember what St. Augustine said about limitless potential and all sorts of scope for creativity here goes this is ceb cranfield rounding off this bit in his commentary with no greek in it that's why it's a shorter commentary these verses should alert us to the fact that the christian hope is something vastly more wonderful and more generous than our preoccupation with ourselves and the feebleness of our concern for God's glory allow us to imagine. You know, we are really quite blinkered when we look at creation, when we look at ourselves. We don't quite see the full scope of what God's about. I'm not going to work through other aspects of the New Testament that talk about a new heaven and a new earth, but I'm going to tell you where to look 
because the New Testament builds on this theme which we see in Romans, which builds on Genesis. If you uh, look later when you get home at um, 2 Peter chapter 3, you'll see more about a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, if you go to Revelation 21, you'll see even more. Very moving end to the whole Bible. There is going to be an amazing culmination to history and a fresh start to God's creation. All because of Jesus, the new Adam, the second Adam, the one who came to, claim, came to bring not just human beings back to God, but the whole of creation to bring renewal, to make things as they should be, to reflect God's glory and please him. So there is going to be an amazing culmination to human history. In the meantime, we must stay true to God's creation mandate, to look around us, treat each other and treat God's creation as we should with creativity, respect, love and wonder at the glory of God as we see it in all its aspects. Let's pray. Father, please forgive us that we are so careless with the wonder of what you have created, partly through us and especially for us. Lord, we pray that you would help each one of us to see how you want us to go forward, working in partnership with you as you fulfil your will in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We ask it in your name. Amen.